Well, in November 2013, the family of George Davis was going through his home after he passed away. He lived in upstate New York, and in life, George Davis had been uh, an art collector and art dealer, also collected and dealt in antiquities. And while his family was going through the house, they discovered a small box in the attic uh, that apparently had been there for some time, years, maybe decades. And uh, they opened the box and inside the box, uh, they found this small figurine, kind of looked like it was from Russia. They weren't sure, uh, but had clearly been in there a long time. Knowing what he did, that George Davis had been an antiquities dealer, they thought we had better get this appraised. And so uh, took it to an appraiser to figure out what it was, if it was worth anything. It didn't look like much, uh, probably about that big. That's the best picture I could actually find of it. When they took it to an appraiser, what they discovered was that this did indeed come from Russia. Uh, It was one of 50 like it that was made Uh, in 1912. uh, It was commissioned by Tsar Nicholas II. He commissioned Fabergé to make 50 of these because he wanted to give one to his wife, the Empress, uh, on her birthday. Now, if you know anything about the history of Russia, you know that Nicholas II was the final emperor of Russia before the communist revolution in 1917. So they suspected that this might be a valuable piece. Turned out that it had been purchased by Armand Hammer, the famous industrialist who brought it to the United States. In 1934, it was then bought by George Davis, who put it in a box and stuck it in the attic for 70 years. Forgot it was there. Uh, After his death, his children discovered it. Uh, The appraiser estimated its value at $800,000. They took it to auction where it fetched more than $5 million for the family. Now, everybody's going to go check your attic this afternoon, aren't you? Wondering what little boxes may be there, what may be around. You're going to look in the garage. Uh, I have just spent your day for you. That's how you're going to do it, right? Now, I thought about this story and I thought, wow, that is, it's unbelievable almost, that somebody could have such a priceless, almost priceless treasure sitting in their attic for 70 years, bringing no value or beauty to the family in a box, gathering dust, doing nothing until after he died. He probably forgot it was there, had no idea the financial security that this piece could have brought to his family. Uh, And as I reflected on that story, what I thought was, you know, really a similar tragedy is happening, I think, uh, in homes all across the world, in the homes of men and women who know Jesus Christ. And the reason is because we also have a priceless treasure, a valuable treasure worth more, in fact, than this figurine, worth more than millions of dollars. We have it, and yet we don't use it. And of course, I'm talking about the word of God that we have it in our homes. It sits on our bedside tables. It sits in drawers, on shelves. And many of us, if we're honest, allow it to gather dust. We don't read it. Now you're here this morning and you're at a Bible church, right? Grace Bible Church. So it should come as no surprise that we are a church that believes deeply in the value of God's word. We hold to inerrancy that God's word in its original manuscripts is without error. We hold to the inspiration of scripture that God breathed it out and spoke it out for our benefit. And I would guess if I did a poll in this room this morning, the vast majority of you in this room would agree with me 
that it is that valuable. You would affirm the words of Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. And most of us would affirm that. We'd say, absolutely, I believe that the Bible is that valuable. But when push comes to shove, I have other things in my day, other things in my life that crowd it out and prevent me from reading it, studying it, and taking it into my heart. Uh, I ran across a survey done by George Barna just this year. Uh, in which he asked people their views on the Bible and their practices toward it, found that 79% of Americans consider the Bible sacred. Almost 80%. The vast majority of Americans say the Bible is, on some level at least, God's word. 56% of Americans do not believe that the Bible currently exercises enough influence in the life of our country. So in other words, the majority would say, you know, if I had my way, the Bible would exercise more influence in government, more influence in our households, in our families, and in our lives. They believe it to be practical as well as sacred. 88% of Americans own a Bible, uh, and on average, we own three Bibles per household. Just for fun, uh, while I was working on this a couple of days ago, I counted how many English Bibles were in my office, and I found 13 English Bibles, different translations. That doesn't include the ones in Greek and Hebrew or whatever that I bought during seminary. That doesn't include the ones I have at my house. If I had to guess, I've got seven to ten more sitting around my house. Now, I realize I'm a pastor, right, so I may collect more Bibles than some, but if you look around, I'm going to guess that Most of you have at least three, four, maybe even five or ten Bibles sitting around your house. So we believe it's sacred. We believe it's practical. We we stack up Bibles like crazy. We've got them all over the place. And yet, Barna also found that only 37% of us read it once a week. And I would bet that for many of that 37%, the time that they read it once a week is here. When they read it with the pastor. Only 15% read the Bible every day. Among those age 18 to 29, which is a big percentage of our congregation, only 25% read it even once a week. So we believe it's relevant. We believe it's the word of God. We believe it matters. But often we don't read it. Let me ask you a few questions. Do you find that you enjoy reading the scripture or is it a chore? Is it something that you know you should do, right? Like eating asparagus, but you don't want to do. If you like asparagus, don't come talk to me later, okay? It's an illustration. Is it something that you want to do or something you feel is a chore? Let me ask you a couple other questions. Uh, Do you spend more time actually reading the words of the scripture than you do reading or listening to your favorite Christian teacher, who I know is Brian Fisher, right? I know that's who it is. Can you quote him or Rick Warren or John Piper or Chuck Swindoll or Beth Moore or whoever it is? Can you quote those favorite teachers more readily than you can quote the scripture? Are their words in your heart and mind more often than the words of the Bible? 
Here's another question. If somebody asked you this morning to, to tell them where in the Bible does it talk about the deity of Christ or the deity of the Holy Spirit or the resurrection of Jesus and its significance or the gospel of grace that we are saved by grace through faith alone, could you do it without spending 10 minutes in the concordance? How much is the word of God in your heart and in your mind? How much is it transforming your life because you are reading it? As we start a new year, I thought it would be appropriate to center our attention on the word of God. Because I frankly do not think there is a new year's resolution you could make that would be more valuable than to say this year I want to invest my time and my energy in reading and knowing and being shaped by the word of God. To say the 2015 is going to be the year where I will submit my life to God's word, not just in theory, but also in practice. Because the reality is you cannot know God deeply if you don't know his word. If you want to know God well, you have to Know the word of God. Now, there are other ways God speaks. Certainly, he speaks in prayer and through his spirit and through the body of Christ. And there's other ways in which he speaks. But you cannot know God deeply unless you know his word. You enter into a relationship with him, of course, by believing in Jesus, in the death and resurrection of Jesus on behalf of our sin. However, if you want to know him and grow in him and walk with him closely, you must know the word of God because it is in the word of God, in the scripture, that God has spoken to us and told us who he is and what he's doing in history and what he's done in Jesus Christ and how we can be shaped and conformed to the character of Jesus Christ. And so if you want to know him well, you have to know the word of God. And what I want to do this morning is not primarily give an apologetic for why the Bible is inerrant or why the Bible is inspired or why we have the books we have. There are books you can read about that. We have given sermons on that topic that I can refer you to. But this morning, what I want to do is this, is simply say, how can we, as we move into 2015, make the word of God a part of our daily life? What are the things that I can do? What are the practices I can implement so that I find that at the end of the year or this time next year, I am regularly reading and applying God's word? That I overcome the objections and the challenges and the fears that right now keep me from doing it. And I grow closer to God as I study and read his word. That's what I want to do. So I'm going to provide some suggestions for us this morning. We'll look at a bit of what the scripture says about itself and how we can come to know God through his word. The first thing I want to say is simply this, find the time, find the time. The first thing you have to do is overcome that voice in your head that says, you know what? I've got so much to do. I don't have time to read the Bible. Maybe you are a college student. You say, you know what? I have been assigned 17,000 pages to read between now and May. And I don't think I can even carve out time for a few more in the scripture. Maybe you are a parent of young children and you say, you know what? I don't have any quiet time. There is no quiet moment in my life. When am I going to find time to read God's word? Because from five in the morning until 11 at night, somebody is talking to me or wants something from me. And so you have this feeling as soon as someone says, implement a new practice into your life, you say, I don't have time. The reality is, We make time 
for those things that are critical to us, don't we? I read an article this past week that said most Americans spend two or three hours a day checking their phones. Guilty, okay? I'll admit it. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, email, text, other forms of communication, two to three hours a day. Now, maybe you don't have a phone or a smartphone, right? You still communicate with papyrus and a little quill you dip into a thing, right? Or something like that. That may be you. And and then I'm not talking to you on this point right here. But for the majority of us, we spend a lot of time looking at that thing. And it's not necessarily bad, but maybe we can put it down for a few minutes. It's interesting. The American Time Use Survey from 2013 found that 95% of Americans, that's almost everybody, uh, spent time each day in some sort of leisure activity. That is watching TV, reading a book for fun, uh, being on Facebook, playing video games. Uh, The average amount of time spent on leisure activities, you ready for this? Five hours a day. Now, I I already know I can hear from particularly the young moms who may be the busiest people in the world going, there's no way. I spend five hours a day on leisure. And you're right. Uh, on average, young moms with small children only spend three and a half to four hours a day on leisure. You know what? And none of that is necessarily bad. We need rest. We need leisure. But let me ask this. Could we carve out, if it were important, could we carve out 20 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day to say, I'm going to put away the phone. I'm going to turn off the TV. I'm going to get up 20 minutes early. I'm going to go to bed 20 minutes early. I'm going to shave 15 minutes off of my lunch hour at work. For those of you that work, students, I'm going to get to class a few minutes early and sit down and read the scripture. Could we do that to find the time? The reality is that all of us make time for those things that are significant to us. You know, it's funny, before Shannon and I started dating, if you had asked me, do you have time for a relationship? I would have said, no, there's, I don't have time. I was working two jobs, one of which was a ministry internship, which really took up the time of two jobs, the pay of half of one, right? And uh, I was also working a second job, and I had friends, and I had roommates, and I had all these things going on. But it's amazing, once Shannon and I started dating, and I began to fall in love, time materialized. Suddenly, I had three hours to sit at Chili's and talk, or to go on long walks, or to spend time on the phone, or to sit around in my apartment or hers, doing nothing but talking. Where did the time come from? I didn't have the time. I made the time because I fell in love and it mattered. Let me ask this. What if you and I fell in love with Jesus and the word of God to the extent that we said, I will make the time because in his word, I'll come to know him. See, when we read the scripture, actually we are investing not in words on a page, but in the person who gave us the book. Say, I I make time for it because I love the God of Scripture, and it's him I want to know. There's all kinds of ways to find time in your day. Again, get up a little bit earlier. Go to bed a little bit earlier. Turn off the TV. Go into the other room. Uh, For some of you, you may have a, a commute to work. I realize we're in College Station, so it may not be a long commute but you've got a little bit of time, maybe you can listen while you drive. There are apps you can put on your phone where they will read the Bible to you while you drive around. And I've done that as well throughout my weeks when things have gotten busy. The time is there, and I want to challenge each of us. Find the time to know God 
through his word. Secondly, learn how to read the scripture. Learn how to read it. Uh, Reading the Bible, uh, for those that have tried, you know it's harder than reading the latest John Grisham novel or whatever it is, right? You open it up and you begin to read and many of you have had the experience of beginning to read the scripture and you get to like Numbers, Deuteronomy, whatever it may be and you go, I'm going to, that Grisham novel sounded good. I'm going to go back to that. And so the plan to read the scripture starts in January and it fizzles out around March or April when you realize it's difficult, right? The scripture is hard to read and often it's because we don't know how to read it because we haven't practiced reading it because we hasn't, haven't learned. It's hard for a few key reasons, I think. First of all, because there's a cultural distance between us and, and the people who lived in Bible times and the people who wrote it. So you open up a book like Ruth in the Old Testament and you say, what is going on? There's all kinds of cultural practices that seem odd to me. What is this with Ruth sneaking into the threshing floor at night and uncovering his feet? That sounds not only a little gross, but a little sketchy, right? And the reality is that says as much about you and me as it does about their culture. We don't understand what's happening. Uh, It may be then you read later in the book and as Boaz is negotiating with the kinsman redeemer, he takes off his sandal or the kinsman redeemer takes off his sandal and you go, I don't do that at work, right? We don't take off our shoes when we're negotiating deals, bang them on the table. Give me, what is going on? And so there's this cultural distance that makes it difficult all the way across the Bible. Even as we get closer to our own time in the gospels and in the epistles, we're still 2000 years removed and that makes it challenging. There are also at times language issues because the Bible was translated, of course, from Hebrew and Greek. We have, I think now the best translations that anybody has ever had in the history of the church. Our translations are very accurate But the reality is that we are still reading something that was translated once from another language and that can make it difficult to understand. I think one of the other key reasons it can be tough is just theological difficulties. We read the Bible and we say, why did God command those people to do that? Why does God tell me to think this way? And we get into other questions. Who made God, God? We we open up Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God will... Who put God there? What about the problem of evil and suffering? And we read and all of these things begin to swirl in our mind. Uh, I have a six-year-old daughter who right now is asking a lot of these great questions. And so we'll be in the car and, you know, kind of thinking about your day or what you're going to do for dinner. And all of a sudden from the back seat, daddy, who made God, God? And the daddy part of you wants to go, look, a puppy, right? And try to distract and... But the honest part of you says, you know what? I've actually wondered that myself. So let's talk about that. Because anybody who has tried to read the scripture has these challenges pop up. What about passages that seem to contradict each other? What do I do with that? Why are these books in there? What about this about God? And so we begin to read and, and it begins to make us uncomfortable at times. Our perceptions of the scripture, our perceptions of God, they They shift and change. And guess what? That's part of what God intends. Not that we wallow in doubt, but that we grow and we stretch and we change to know him better and know his word better. But it's difficult to read. So how can we learn to read it? How can we learn to read the scripture well? A few thoughts. First of all, pray, pray, pray. Don't just open it up and open up a book and start reading. Don't just begin in Genesis But begin in prayer. If you know Jesus Christ this morning, if you have trusted in him 
for the forgiveness of your sins, for eternal life, then you should know that the Spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus said in John 16 that one of the primary, uh, one of the primary jobs of the Spirit in our life is to train us in what is true, to teach us the truth. John 16, Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In other words, if you know Jesus this morning, the Spirit is a resource that you have. He is a person who lives in your heart. And when you pray, God, give me wisdom to understand your word, James 1 says God loves to answer that prayer. Because he's generous with wisdom. And so you begin the process asking the God who wrote the scripture to help you know it and obey it and understand it. Scripture is a supernatural book and it requires supernatural understanding. And that is why those who do not know Jesus, they can read the words, they can understand some of the facts and the concepts, but the idea of scripture as God's word eludes them. Uh, Just in December, actually, Newsweek did... Uh, an article about the Bible. And it was interesting, the writer of this article purported to be objective. He even said, I'm not gonna, not gonna draw any particular conclusions about the Bible. I don't wanna mess with anybody's beliefs. And then for, I don't know, 10 pages went on to just tear the book apart. All the contradictions, all the problems, uh, had all kinds of inaccuracies about how it was translated, all kinds of problems in how the canon was put together. He didn't understand much of what he was actually writing about, even from a factual perspective. And the reason is because he launched from a place of unbelief, trying to describe a supernatural book. But for those who know Jesus, we approach with a spirit of humility and submission to God's word. Say, God, help me to understand. Because this is your book that's been around a lot longer than Newsweek. And in a hundred years, no one's really going to read that Barely anybody reads it now, to be honest. But in another few decades, it'll be gone. And the scripture remains because it's God's book. So you begin the process with prayer. All right. Secondly, practice, practice, practice. Everybody's heard the expression practice makes perfect. Doesn't make perfect when it comes to reading the word of God, but it does improve your ability to understand and to grow. Because it is a discipline and it is often difficult and it is often challenging. And the more you read, the more you will begin to understand. And sometimes things that you read the first time may not make sense. And it may be on the second or third or fourth or fifth or tenth reading that suddenly something clicks in and the Spirit of God begins to speak when you are ready and reveals new connections and new insights from His Word. This past year, as I was reading the Scripture, there were things that jumped out to me in Jeremiah and Ezekiel that all of a sudden I went, wait a second. John repeats this in Revelation. And I had never noticed before that the connections that John makes over in Revelation were started way back in Ezekiel. And I'd read it over and over and over again. And the Spirit brought that to mind. And the more you read, the more you begin to understand. You begin to understand some of these cultural issues. You begin to break down some of these other barriers that keep you from understanding. It's like any skill in in a lot of ways, except you're dealing with the supernatural word of God. When I was in high school, I still remember that one of the hardest classes that I took was geometry. Uh, You know, in geometry, you learn all of these theorems and proofs, you know, so they're all about triangles, right? So there's the 
SAS theory and the SSS theory, I think, and all these different things. And then they will give you a problem. They will say, take this triangle and prove something about it, right? Prove this triangle is like an antelope or something and just use the, the theorems that you know. Okay, so you begin to muddle through that. And I just remember that being so tough at 16. And my mind had a hard time wrestling with all these theorems and putting them together. And I would spend hours and still not get problems. And I'd call my friends and they would be like, yeah, I'm already in tears about this. And none of us would get it. But it's interesting, uh, several years later, after I had uh, finished high school and then got my engineering degree and I was in seminary, one of the things I did was I tutored high school students to earn a little bit of extra money. And I don't know what possessed me to do it, but I signed up to tutor a kid in geometry one semester. Now, here was what was interesting was I walked in and as I was walking in, I thought, why did I sign up for this? This class was terrible. I'm not going to be able to help him. Opened up the book. And you know what happened? It was easy. With eight or nine years of practice in all kinds of different math and a mature mind, a more mature mind, suddenly I could understand it because I'd practiced. Now, some of you are saying, hey, find a different illustration. Math is still terrible for me, okay? Let me give you one more. Think about just when you were learning to read, when you were five, six, seven. How did you do it? You sounded out every letter, didn't you? The, k, ah, t, right? Anybody who's ever read a whole book with a small child knows it can actually be excruciating, can't it? Right? You think, I'm going to be an old person before we finish this. And they muddle through that and they wrestle through it. And you know what? Somebody did that with you as well. And that's why today you pick it up and you go, the cat went to the store and you read very fast. And then you think that doesn't make any sense, right? And you begin to evaluate what you're reading because your skills have improved over the years. You practiced and you practiced and you practiced. And what's cool is to see a child in kindergarten, first grade, start there. And by the end of the year, they're smooth and they're fast because they keep at it. And the same is true with the word of God. Many of us give up way too quickly. You start in Genesis and again, you, you, you Exodus, Leviticus, which by the way, I would recommend don't start that way. Find a plan that allows you to go from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Psalms all in the same day or the same week so that you're not just bogged down in numbers for six weeks. But we start that way and it gets difficult and we hit tough spots and it's hard to read and it doesn't immediately feel relevant and we quit way too soon. When the treasure might be buried just over the next hill. Once we get through the difficult passage, once we begin to understand how all of it ties together. So practice, practice, practice. Thirdly, I'd say join a group of men and women who can help you understand the word. Join a group. We have groups here, obviously, Bible studies that meet throughout the semester. But find a group. I would encourage you, find a group of people where some of those people are older and have been reading the scripture longer and some of them are younger. Because those who are newer to the discipline will bring a freshness of insight. Things that you may not have thought about recently for years and an enthusiasm about God's word. Those who are older, who have read it 50, 100 times, will bring a wisdom and a depth of maturity that you and I may not have. And as we dialogue over the word of God, we sharpen and encourage one another. It's that idea of iron sharpening iron. Proverbs 17, as one man sharpens another. Hebrews 10, 
says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, join a group of men and women who will sharpen you and help you encourage one another to know God's word. So you're not just trying to read it and understand it all by yourself. And then fourthly, use resources, but use them wisely and sparingly. And by resources, I mean podcasts and sermons of your favorite preachers and books and commentaries and your study Bible and all of those things. Don't be afraid to use them because God has given men and women in the body of Christ uh, who have studied and can help explain the word of God in ways that we may not understand. So I have professors from seminary, for example, who have devoted their lives, their career to understanding biblical Greek. And so I can open one of their commentaries and I understand things that frankly, in my ministry, I don't have time to invest, to dig that deeply into the Greek language. So God has given us those men and women, but I would say use them wisely and use them sparingly. And start with the text. So here's a suggestion, just a suggestion. If you are accustomed to reading from a a big old study Bible, whether it's Ryrie or Schofield or NIV study Bible or whatever it may be, I would say do this for a while. Use one that doesn't have study notes in it and set the study notes one aside and only read those study notes once you have wrestled with the text for a while. Because I don't know about you, but for me at least, when I begin with the resources, immediately the theological concepts and the opinions of the writer of the resource enters my mind and heart and trumps simply looking at the scripture. So begin there and then wisely move to resources. That's how we begin to learn to read the scripture. Those resources, by the way, sometimes can help us cut through some of these cultural barriers also and distance. So there are some great commentaries out there, Bible background commentary by InterVarsity that helps explain some of the cultural issues surrounding the Bible. There are are great resources that do that. I would just say first wrestle with the text. So pray, practice, join a group, use resources. This is how we learn to read the scripture. All right, so find the time. We learn how to read it. And then thirdly, let it transform you. Let it transform you. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Most of us believe that, I think. That God wrote his word so that we can know the things we need to know And do the things he's called us to do. So we are ready for every good work. And yet, if we're honest, a lot of times it doesn't feel that way. We approach the Bible and it feels irrelevant to us. We have a hard time understanding uh, what do these genealogies have to do with the fact that uh, my roommate is kind of a jerk. How does it relate to my life when I'm in class and I'm failing, when I'm struggling financially, when my spouse or my kids are, are a challenge? How is this relevant And we have a hard time. And so as a result, again, we give up and we don't apply. And I think the reason that we don't let it transform us, the reason that it doesn't often feel relevant is this. We approach the scripture with the wrong question. We approach God's word with the wrong goal. See, I think often what we do is we open it up and we say, you know, my my spouse is really kind of grumpy. What verse will fix that problem? Okay. 
Let me open it up. I'm struggling with money. Is there a verse that tells me how I can get some more or uh, make my kids not say that, that they said to the teacher earlier, right? And so we start going through and we go, it's not in there. What an irrelevant book. And we set it down because we've approached it for the wrong reason. Instead, what the scripture wants to do, what God wants to do through the scripture is cut you and me to the heart and transform us into the character of Jesus Christ so we can glorify him. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What the scripture will do, if you let it, is it will, it'll slice you open. So that as you read and you say, God, I want you to fix my spouse, my kids, my roommates, my professors. All of a sudden, the scripture speaks back and says, actually, right now, the problem is you. And it begins to slice open your heart. Peers into those crevices where you're hiding rebellious intentions selfish ideas thoughts that are opposed to God's thoughts and it shines a light on them and you know what it's uncomfortable and it hurts and we don't like it and then we begin to say I wish this was still as irrelevant as I thought it was Uh, not too long ago I was driving to a doctor's appointment with one of my kids and I think we were headed toward um, possibly getting some shots and One of them said, you know, Daddy, I really, I don't like shots. I'd rather not. Right? And I said, well, here's the thing. Uh, Nobody likes shots. Right? Nobody except like a crazy person says, I like being poked with a needle. Right? So why do we do this? Because we believe it will keep us healthy. Right? Nobody likes surgery. I've never heard somebody say, Please pray for my upcoming surgery. I'm just, I'm too excited about it, right? They're going to cut me open. They're going to go inside my body and kind of mess with stuff and put me on a cold steel table and take away some of my dignity, you know? I've never heard anybody say that. Uh, I, I remember in high school, I actually was in college, 19 or 20 years old. I had this um, tumor on the bottom of my foot, on the sole of my foot. And uh, it wasn't malignant, but it was very uncomfortable. And uh, I would go to work, and I had a job where I had to wear kind of dress shoes, and I had to stand up a lot. And by the end of the day, man, I was just dying. Uh, And my feet were were really just, they were in a lot of pain. And I would sit down, and I would kind of try to massage this pain out of my feet, and it would take me a couple of hours to feel normal again. So I went to the doctor, and he said, yeah, the only way to deal with this is we're going to have to remove it, right? We're going to cut this out of your feet. So we'll give you a local anesthetic. You'll be awake the whole time. I'm great. Thumbs up. So we go in and, and he takes his little knife and he opens up my foot and he takes this thing out. And, you know, being a doctor, I guess he thought it was cool to show it to me. I don't know really why, but he, but he did. I'm like, that's great. You know, I kind of, we're paying you to take that out like away. Okay. And removed it. Now, was that a pleasant experience? Was I looking forward to it? No. But you know what? I was glad on the other side that he did it. He removed something damaging to me so that I could walk better. So that I can walk around up here and and not wince or limp or be in pain and left unattended, it would have grown. 
gotten worse and prevented perhaps my ability to really walk well. That's what the word of God does. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but it opens you up and God says, you know what, there's, there's a tumor in here. There's some sin, there's some selfish ambition, there's some anger, there's some bitterness, there's some lust, there's some pride, there's some things that I got to take out. And the word of God will shine a light in there and pull those things out and it hurts. But we're called to approach the scripture in an attitude of submission to say, God, I want to be transformed. So perhaps you wake up one morning and you're grumpy and you're snapping at your children or at your wife or at your roommates because they are just such a problem and you think I, I need I need that to be fixed and you open up the scripture and you read Ephesians 4 31 to 32 let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice be kind to one another tender-hearted forgiving each other just as God in Christ also has forgiven you and you read that and you hear the spirit saying see right now the problem is not them the problem is you your anger your bitterness you need to be kind and you say I need another verse is what I need right (laughs) so you begin to flip around maybe it is that when you are struggling to trust God and so you begin to turn your heart toward money or relationships or some form of idol to take that place in your heart something you can control and manage and worship that makes you feel secure you read the old testament and you read the story of israel and israel's kings and you read how they continually turned to idols that they believed would provide for them better than the living god and how all it brought them was pain and death and devastation and yet god in his mercy kept forgiving kept drawing them back, kept promising them life and sent his own son to die for them and for us and to rise again so we could have life. And you say, that opens me up. And as you read the word of God, it begins to change the way you think. It begins to change your attitudes, the way you approach Your world changes. And yes, you wrestle with difficult questions. But even as you begin to read the scripture, you begin to entrust those questions to the God who wrote the book. And you say, you know what? There are some things I'm just not going to get this side of eternity. But I trust the God who holds those things in his hand. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And we're called to to read it and allow it through the power of the Spirit to change you and me, to change us. That's what I mean when I say if you really want to know God deeply, you have to know his word. It is one of the primary tools he has given us to know him. And so as we approach the new year, again, I want us to find the time learn how to read it, and then let it transform our hearts and our minds. As we close, I want to provide a few really practical suggestions just for how to begin in this process. Okay, as we mentioned, of course, pray for wisdom. Begin by praying for wisdom. Uh, this afternoon, go and pray that God would give you wisdom not only to understand the scripture, but to know even how to approach reading it, where you ought to start. Okay, pray for wisdom. Secondly, find a good plan. 
Uh, there's all kinds of plans that you can use. There's one-year plans. There's 40-day plans. There's two-year plans. There's all kinds of plans you can use. I used one last year that happened to be five days a week. Uh, it was just four or five chapters, five days a week um, throughout the course of the year. I liked that plan personally because it alternated from Old Testament to New Testament. So I wasn't just in one Old Testament book or one New Testament book. I also liked it because I had a couple of extra days. For me personally, I don't know about you, when I have a seven-day plan, uh, if I miss a day, which I inevitably do at some point, then I feel behind, then I feel ashamed, then I don't want to read again, and then I have four days to catch up on, and then I give up. Find something that works. If you, if you pick a plan that says it's a one-year plan, by the way, and it takes you two years to go through it, you don't need to feel a deep sense of personal failure. It's okay. It's okay, really. The plan is a tool. But I have found that having a little bit of structure so I don't just immediately approach it and say, okay, what am I going to do today? Isaiah 42, great. And I just kind of start reading somewhere randomly. Instead, no matter how long it takes and no matter what the plan is, I actually keep mine just kind of right here in the front of my Bible. So that even if I've missed a couple of days, I just go to the next reading on the list. And it provides for me a little bit of helpful structure. So find some kind of a good plan. And maybe you say, you know what, this year I just want to read the Old Testament because I've never made it all the way through that sucker, right? I want to read the New Testament. I want to read all the Psalms here in January and February. But find some kind of a good plan. Find a good group, like we mentioned. There are groups that you can join here. You can find them on our website. Find a good group of men and women. Uh, This one I mentioned briefly earlier, but use audio Bibles. Don't be afraid to listen. I found also that listening to the scripture is even a different experience than reading it. That I hear things and notice things sometimes when I'm listening. I have about a 10 minute drive from my house to the church here in the morning. And so sometimes I will uh, play it on my phone while I'm driving. Uh, the version app is great. They actually have uh, a really dramatic sounding British man that reads the scripture. So you feel like you're doing something important, right? When you listen to this. <laughs> And so I'll listen on my way uh, around town and that helps me absorb the scripture as I'm driving. So don't be afraid to use audio Bible CDs or something on your phone, something along those lines. Uh, Use outside resources again, but use them sparingly and carefully. Yes, listen to podcasts. Yes, listen to sermons. Yes, pull out the commentaries or the books, but use them carefully and recognize every commenter, every preacher has his own or her own biases and opinions and beliefs and experiences that shape how they come to the scripture. So their words are not scripture. Use those outside resources carefully. And then finally, don't give up. Don't give up. Again, even if you find, you know what, right now, this year, all I can do is read one chapter a day. And maybe uh, you say it's going to take me 18 years to read the Bible at the rate I go. That's okay. Don't give up. Continue to practice the discipline of reading scripture. It may be that you start with a great plan and yet one day you hit a verse, one verse that really rocks your world and changes the way you think. And you you go, you know, all I read today was this verse, but it transformed my life. But don't give up on it just because it's hard. Because it's valuable. Again, it's, it's mining for treasure. Because the scripture is God's treasure that he has given us so that we can know him. I want to exhort you to consider something for this year. And it's not going to be 
Make sure you read through the whole Bible. Here's, here's what I want to say. Simply invest 15 minutes a day, five days a week, right? If you're starting at ground zero, just do this. 15 minutes a day, five days a week, read the scripture. Go on, version app actually has some good plans you can walk through. There's several online. I posted one on my Facebook account earlier this week, and I can post it on Twitter uh, as well. Find a plan and just 15 minutes a day, five days a week, that's it. And say, I'm going to carve a little bit of that time off of TV time in the evening, off of Facebook time, off of whatever it may be. And I'm just going to read for a few minutes each week so that I can know God's word. Because again, if you want to know God deeply, you, you must invest time in knowing his word. So the challenge is commit to mining God's treasure from his word throughout the course of this year so you and I can be shaped into the character of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, uh, that it is more precious than gold, more valuable than any precious jewel, sweeter than honey, as the psalmist says. And we pray you'd help us to understand it, help us to obey it. Uh, We pray that we would be open to seeing God's word transform us. I pray that we would not give up, even if it's initially difficult that we would trust you and continue pressing forward in the power of your spirit to invest that time with you. Father, we're grateful for this time, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a wonderful week.